Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, recorded during the dregs of the Easter bank holiday weekend here in the UK, which is where I am. It's where Matt is. Hello, Matt. Hello. It is not where David Law is, because, folks, the universe has cut the laws a break and they (laughs) made it to Croatia COVID free they are in the words of David Law himself earlier on today on WhatsApp poncing around on a beach <laughs> and we we could not be more happy about that fact Matt as, as much as we'd love to have him with us on this podcast for the sake of of all future podcasts I think it's good news that David Law is currently frolicking on a beach yes absolutely and and he may or may not be doing so in an office shirt Hmm. Yeah, he's just wearing a work shirt on the Mm. beach, keeps sending these really lovely selfies, you know, sunglasses on, looking happy, work shirt. (laughs) He claims it's not a work shirt, but I think that is just semantics. Anyway, he's having a lovely time and it's very well earned. And uh, I'm I'm so pleased they made it out there because, um, yeah. COVID hasn't been kind to David over the past few months and uh, that holiday was much needed and deserved. So Dave is listening to this as a as a fan, as a listener, which sort of builds the pressure on me and Matt. So we've drafted in um, some reserves. We have, Matt, well, I know you know this, I don't know why I'm billing it like, <laughs> like it's a surprise to you, um, but it might be a surprise to the listener to know that we have Bianca Andrescu on the show later today. I interviewed her earlier on this afternoon and I want to be her friend, Matt. I want <laughs> I want her to come and eat curry at Tennis Podcast Towers and watch football with us, which is what we do with our celebrity friends, isn't it? <laughs> well, and actually, I must say, if the uh, back end of the interview is anything to go by, I think she'd be down for being your friend, Catherine. There's a, there's a friendly vibe to the interview. Don't raise my hopes so high <laughs> Matt it's the hope that kills yeah I mean look she's just a delight and um it's just great she's really back. Re- honestly I just I mean I, f- I felt excited for her for her comeback before that interview and I feel even more excited about it now I mean it's no secret that I'm just a a massive Andrescu fan I've I've missed her I've missed her enjoying tennis and she she tells us in quite visceral detail in this interview how much she wasn't enjoying tennis before 
before taking this time away from the sport. Um, I won't spoiler it, but it's uh, it's worth listening to. So when we turn our attention to look ahead to uh, this week's tennis, uh, we'll bring you um, what Bianca Andrescu has to say about her own comeback in Stuttgart this week on the clay. But we'll start by looking back uh, to Monte Carlo and our first clay court ATP Masters 1000 event of the season won once again by defending champion, now two-time champion, Stefanos Tsitsipas. 6-3, 7-6, he beat Alejandro Davidovich Fakina in the final. Only the sixth man in the open era to defend the Monte Carlo title. Obviously, Nadal has done it 400 times. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But uh, four other men besides Nadal and Tsitsipas have also done it. The other five have all won Roland Garros. I, Matt, am very guilty. And I know there's somebody uh, of this parish that is not currently on this podcast right now that is not guilty of this and who might have got their prediction right this week, but isn't isn't here to confirm or deny. So we'll, we'll leave that there. I, though, am definitely guilty of having forgotten how good Tsitsipas is on clay, which is silly because he reached the French Open final less than a year ago, but I'd forgotten Matt. He's mm. very, very good. He's he's very, very good on clay, and we saw the reasons why he's he's so good on clay. I think I think, and and actually, as much as I think I remembered he was so good on clay, it was still a moment of uh, realization, I suppose, because we have been talking about him having some trouble stumbling a bit this season you know so far okay he reached the Australian Open semi-final and that was brilliant that was probably ahead of schedule really considering he'd had the elbow surgery in the off season but since then he'd he'd had a few losses that you wouldn't expect him to have Brooksby, Norrie, um, Safulin I think at a tournament somewhere if I remember correctly so so just a few that you wouldn't expect but as soon as he stepped on the clay he beat Fabio Fanini in his first match in Monte Carlo. And it was just like, oh, yeah, this is Sitsipas's time. This is his territory. It just all makes sense. Uh, and I think, you know, the reasons are multiple, really. There's there's the extra time he gets to hit his forehand. There's the extra time he gets on return just to make so many more returns. There's the fact that he covers the court brilliantly with those really long strides of his. And it's just difficult to get the ball past him. Everything about his game just makes sense on the clay, and I think we saw that saw that throughout the week. And it was nice for him to win Monte Carlo again in front of fans. You know, just a different different experience to what he had last year. And yeah, he's he's a real real force on this surface. I think the return thing is big, isn't it? That extra bit of time on the return because he hasn't figured it out on a hard court. He's made incremental improvements, but he hasn't had the significant light bulb of of how to return a big serve on a hard court with those massive swings that he has he hasn't developed that that chip backhand return or chip on either wing return really that so many so many want him to or are calling for him to do um but it just doesn't matter so much on clay and it's just so interesting what a change in surface does to the sport because it ostensibly looks the same doesn't it and you know, if you didn't know that much about the sport, maybe you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I don't know. Or maybe it would be even more obvious. Maybe we're, our eyes sort of become used to the difference. I don't know. It could go either way. But 
I don't I mean, look at Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. I mean, since, you know, making that run at the French Open last year, when he sort of brought himself to all our attentions, when we learned that he supports uh, an animal charity back home in Spain and he wears a, a patch of theirs on his kit, you know, since he announced himself, he's done bog all, hasn't he? As soon as he came off the clay... Just different player. We went out to watch him uh, play Felix Auger Aliassime at uh, the Australian Open earlier this year on that wonderful new court, and it was a it was a really great match. What we saw, but he just didn't have ways to end the point, did he? There were some wonderful rallies, brilliant hitting, but he he didn't have the weapons to end end the point, and it's just a completely different sport for him on clay. Yeah, totally. And I think that Auger Aliassime match that you mentioned was probably one of the better matches he's played, not on the clay in the last few months. And I think he lost it in four tie breaks. Uh, But coming into this week, he hadn't beaten a top 100 player this year. And suddenly he gets on the clay and he beats, you know, a host of them. Obviously, Novak Djokovic in, in the second round. I'm sure we'll talk more about that match. But just absolutely. I mean, at this time of the year, you just talk about players that you don't normally talk about. You know, we're going to talk about Davidovich Fakina. We're, you know, we could talk about Mazzetti as well. I enjoyed watching him on the clay. And oh, it, he's done nothing either. No, since the French <laughs> Open last year, he's done he's done close to nothing. And then suddenly, suddenly he's reminding us all why why we're so excited about him. I mean, I still think he should be better on hard courts than he has been thus far and and I think he will be but oh it was it was restorative to watch watch Mazzetti look like that guy that we were all so excited about a year ago before he retired for the fans (laughs) well I do think that match had had lasting consequences as you said I think he's better on other surfaces than he showed I think I think that was quite a scarring experience for him that it took him a little while to get over um but yeah absolutely such stylish tennis I, I loved watching him this week and I think I think for Davidovich Fakina he's always been a guy even last year when yes he had that run to the quarterfinals at Roland Garros but he was a guy I loved watching but I didn't, I didn't trust him to win matches because his tennis is so streaky you know he, he hasn't got a great serve he, he breaks he breaks Mary Carrillo's main tennis rule which is you've <laughs> got to hold your goddamn serve and he, he doesn't do that particularly well and it just makes him vulnerable in matches and his game can go off and on very very quickly um, but I think he's really worked on that and on trying not to have so many letdowns. And I did trust him a bit more this week, just match after match. I felt like he was competing brilliantly. I love watching his game. Oh, so intense, isn't he? So intense. So, just just intensely <laughs> intense. And I love that. I mean, in, intensity in a really great is one way. of my favourite features in a player in terms of, you know, what I what engages me. And he's just, God, the energy he must burn up with that intensity mm. I mean there's a look in his eye that can be a bit terrifying but it's also electrifying mm. yeah absolutely so I think I think what I'm saying is that he's he's managing to balance sort of throwing himself all over the court as he does and literally being, literally and I, I think there's a Twitter account did Focky fall you know it's a sort of <laughs> it's the did Marin Cilic win equivalent and it just every day yes I think the US 
channel i think i think maybe it was tennis channel that had it this week they actually had a counter um during one of his matches of how many times he dived and fell in the clay and it got up to eight at one point well there was one in his there was one in his match against novak Djokovic, which spoiler alert he won so let's come on to talk about that because there was there was one moment where he dived for a ball that even if he had made it i don't think he had any chance of winning the point it was just it was I don't think he did it for performative theatrical purposes, but it was, you know, with the benefit of a split second hindsight, it was really silly. And he ended up drawing blood and having to, having to get treatment on his <laughs> it's hand. Just, it's, it's just an instinct. Thing. I think you or I, Catherine, our instinct is to not dive for a tennis ball. Mm, His correct. is just to do it. No matter you, the consequences. Do you think somebody once said to him, "You've got hair a bit like Boris Becker. Do, <laughs> do me a, do me a dive volley. Let's see what you've got." Um, but um, we're not talking about just at the net here. I mean, he he's he's not opposed to doing it at the net, but we're talking about at the back of the court. He will be gymnastically hurling himself towards a tennis ball at at the baseline. He did one on return of serve. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, he actually drew blood against Novak Djokovic. That was the extent of the drama in that match. Um, it looked very much like Alejandro Davidovich Vakina was going to win that in straight sets. And there was a bit of a mental letdown from from the Spaniard to, to not do so. And then Djokovic went into lockdown mode in that second set tiebreak, which was very sort of reminiscent of Djokovic of old, wins the tiebreak quite convincingly um, and lets out just one, you know, a trademark Djokovic guttural roar to the crowd, really extended, chest beating, all of that jazz. And I was thinking, you know, 6-1 third set, quite honestly. I thought, you know, okay, the tidal waves in flow now. Djokovic is, if not producing the tennis of a world number one, it the, just the force of the man will take over from this point. And and it was a 6-1 set. <laughs> well, yeah, it was a 6-1 set in Alejandro Davidovich Fakina's favour, and it was favour rather, and it was a, a really arresting sight, quite frankly. And Djokovic said after the match that he collapsed physically and that he didn't like the feeling and that he's going to speak to his team about it, which... Look, it's his, it's his first tournament back. I know he played Dubai, but this is, I suppose for a mere mortal, it's really understandable. But I found it quite alarming to see. He obviously found it alarming to experience. And he obviously wasn't prepared to struggle that much physically. Now, whether that's because he just has never really been in this position before, I don't know. But you'd think he'd be physically fitter than after his previous comebacks from injury because presumably he's been able to train at full pelt this whole time because there's been nothing physically wrong with him. Um, so from that perspective, I found it I found it quite bizarre, actually, that sight. And look, there's, there's plenty of time for him to get that fitness back. The muscle memory is there, but, you know, he didn't say, gosh, I collapsed physically, I've got work to do, don't worry, I'll get there, but I just, you know, need to get it back out on the practice court or whatever it is. He said, God, that was awful, I don't know what's going on, I'm going to have to have a chat with my with my team. What did you make of it all, Matt? 
The same as you, really. Um, David put in our WhatsApp group that it was like like an old smartphone that you think's got you know half an hour, forty five more minutes of of power left, and suddenly it just goes and you can't use it anymore. And that was like Djokovic with his own body. Maybe, you know, like you said, that that second set reaction was not the reaction of someone who felt they had nothing left to give in the third set. And clearly that was pretty much the case because the last few games of that match, he, he had nothing left. And yeah, you're right. It is early in this in this comeback. It is early still in this clay court season. Obviously, Roland Garros is his, is his priority. But it does put a lot of pressure on on the upcoming tournaments. You know, he he needs to get better physically quickly, and he needs to start winning matches because I think on clay more than anything, it's the surface which which doesn't suit him quite so much. And obviously, it's all relative. He's a two time French Open champion. He's beaten Rafael Nadal twice at the French Open. He's very very good on this surface. But I think it does take him a bit more time when he's not quite so attuned to the clay. He can. He can seem a little bit frail, a little bit more vulnerable. I, I think, for example, there are players like Davidovich Fakina. Okay, he's he's a pretty unique character, but there are players of his sort of ranking who would back themselves more against Djokovic on on clay in the early rounds than they would on hard court or grass court. So, yeah, it, it certainly makes the next few weeks for Djokovic particularly interesting because there's a there's a pressure to get results now. Belgrade this week where he's obviously the top seed home favorite is that coming at a perfect time or a tricky time given that pressure you just referred to I mean the pressure will be you know greater there than anywhere else you could argue Mm. and he's and he's got a draw which could see him face Ketsmanovic I think in his second match and obviously we know the form he's been in um that's an interesting match from from a pressure perspective I think for both of them, actually. Djokovic playing a younger Serb. Ketsmanovic trying to face Djokovic, I think, is an interesting, slightly awkward dynamic, probably, for him as well. Uh, I would think it's a good time. I, I would think he would enjoy playing at home. But, like I said, there's so much intrigue around Djokovic at the moment. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, it, the next few weeks are going to be fascinating for for many reasons, but definitely from a from a Djokovic perspective. A um, couple of other bits to tidy up from Monte Carlo. Uh, as we recorded this podcast last week, Matt, in person, sat on this sofa that I'm sat on right now. I promise I have moved in the last seven days. Um, we were watching uh, Seb Sebi Sebastian Korda battle through against Bertek van der Zandschulp, uh, who was injured and Korda looked quite good. But, it you know, he was in a battle against a a slightly injured opponent. He didn't look like he was he looked like he was playing well, but not necessarily shaping up to do anything major at, at, at the tournament. Then he goes and beats Carlos Alcaraz, Matt, in in a match that I missed, um, because I hadn't earmarked it as one that would be notable, quite frankly. I'm a big fan of Sebastian Corders, but I did not see that happening on clay, given Alcaraz's form. Obviously, this is the case for any subscribers to the newsletter who will see that I'm doing I'm doing a bedossa with Alcaraz. I'm just continuing to double down. Um, why did that happen? Unfortunately, I was at the US Embassy when that <laughs> happened. <laughs> we should have discussed this before <laughs> I threw you under the bus. Sorry, Matt. At least you were doing 
podcast work at the embassy. Um, that sounds yes. cryptic, doesn't it? Obviously, trying to get a visa to travel to New York for the US Open later in, in the year. Um, yeah, to make but... sure I don't miss any quarter and our Kras matches from the US Open. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but what what I I mean I did I did some you know obviously lots of people were talking about it because it was a notable result, wasn't it? I think everyone, us included, was getting very excited about the uh, Novak Djokovic Carlos Alcaraz quarter. And neither of them won their opening match. And I can't remember what the quarterfinal was in that section. I think it might have been Davidovich Fakina Goffa. Um or Fritz. No, Fritz Davidovich Fakina, wasn't it? Anyway, it wasn't Djokovic yes. Alcaraz. Um I think Alcaraz looked really just like oddly rusty by the by the sound of things, making a lot of errors. I think it was a really windy day. But again, that surprised me that he didn't deal with those conditions because he dealt with them so well at Indian Wells in the wind. And I would have thought with the spin, he would he would favour the wind more than Corder. Um, but actually, I, I was I was reminded Corder's played quite well um, at the French Open in the past already. Uh, he he's tall. I think he likes the bounce going into into his forehand and backhand up high. And I think maybe we didn't just quite you know because of Botic van der Zandschulp's injury, we didn't quite see Corder having to play very good tennis. But mm, um, I think he is I think he is capable. Uh, on this surface and that that would be a fun rivalry actually wouldn't it if if those two can can develop one Alcaraz and Corda that is not um <laughs> not Corda and Van der Sanchel. um two more two more bits for you from Monte Carlo one is that Joe Salisbury having having reached world number one um has well confirmed his place there quite frankly by alongside partner Rajiv Ram beating one Sebastian Cabal, Robert Farah uh, to win the doubles title in Monte Carlo. Great final, wasn't it? Um, and yeah, he's just, it's just, it's just a great story for Joe Salisbury to be, to be doing that and rising to the challenge of being the world's best doubles player. Yeah. And watching that final, it really struck me just how fine the margins are in doubles because Salisbury and Ram were in the ascendancy and it and it flipped on one on one point really it was a sudden death deuce and Cabal and Farah got a net cord in their favor that gave them the break of serve and and it just made me realize that you know getting to getting to number one in in doubles when the margins are so fine when little moments can can make a big difference in a match basically i think i think it's harder to be dominant really in that format so i think anyone who gets mm. to number 1 or really ranked really high in doubles that that's really impressive and yeah i thought thought salisbury really stepped up in that uh, match tie break an incredible bit of defense to pinch a point and yeah he's he's really playing like the number 1 it's great to see mm, it really is and hello to both of joe salisbury's parents uh, who we now know are listeners to the podcast. Hello. Um, last very important burning bit of business from Monte Carlo, uh, Adidas T-shirts. Mm. The very prominent new Adidas T-shirts, because, of course, Stefanos Tsitsipas lifted the trophy uh, wearing one of them. Worst kit in the history of tennis, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. I I can't tell you how much I hate it. <laughs> It actually grew on me a bit through the week. I was with you when we were watching it on, I think on it's Monday ridiculous before. Ridiculous and distracting. <laughs> 
it's like for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's sort of. Well, first of all, the colours, I think, are pretty horrible. They're like sort of sludgy, greeny colours. And then they're sort of covered in nonsensical hieroglyphics, which Mm. apparently is something Parisian. It's It's something sustainable, is it? Just put a picture of a polar bear on there or something. I mean, that sounds great, actually, a T-shirt with polar bears all over it. I kind of like them more now I know that you really, really hate them. That's... Yeah, uh, it's so distracting. And I know that's what they want. I know I'm playing into their hands. We're talking about it on the podcast. People are going to go and Google it. But no one's going out to buy it. I promise you that. Do you like it enough to buy? No. Okay. Okay, here's the test then. If I bought you one as a generous gift... Would you wear it? Uh, as pyjamas? <laughs> <laughs> right. Case closed, folks. <laughs> Worst kit in the history of tennis. Uh, what else happened last week in tennis besides that dreadful kit? Let's change the subject. I was just going to say one more thing on Sitsipas, uh this mm. week. Because I, I found it interesting that a lot of the chatter last year around Sitsipas was that he was he was struggling uh, to close out matches? Do you remember when it it all sort of stemmed from that match at the at the U.S. Open against Borna Choric Ch- a couple Chorich. of years mm. ago, and then obviously the French Open final last year he he led two sets to love, and that felt like one of the last remaining hurdles for him in terms of trying to really win a big tournament because he'd proven he could beat the best players. Um, and I just thought this tournament was interesting from that perspective because he had that crazy match with Schwartzman where he led, I think, 6-2, 5-3, served for it, and then suddenly found himself four love down in the final set but managed to come back. And there was just this this moment at the end where he just sat and in his chair and just sort of, for about 30 seconds, it looked like he was just really taking that in. That felt like a really big win for him, that overcoming that hurdle of letting a lead slip but managing to find a way to win. And I think he he faltered a little bit in the final, didn't he? Didn't he? He he had one attempt at serving it out and got broken back and managed to win. And I think it I think it shows the frailties are still there maybe, but also that he's getting better at overcoming them. So I just felt sort of not only his tennis being so good, but the way he won, given given mm. his sort of backstory, I thought was quite significant. Mm, very very good point um is he playing barcelona i know alejandro davidovic fikina has withdrawn from barcelona but of course barcelona was sitsapas played one of the matches of of last year against nadal in in that final and that was after winning monte carlo yeah he's in the draw and we can get excited about um a quarter that may or may not happen again because it's the carlos alcaraz quarter so sitsapas alcaraz would be a would be a quarter we, we need to enjoy this brief time don't we where carlos alcaraz is ranked mm. low enough that he's scheduled to meet these these players in in the quarters rather than in the finals which is you know surely only a matter of time in coming when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. In the women's side of things, last week we had Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers. Um, Tons of them going on. Um, we had the Czech Republic beating Great Britain, uh, three rubbers to two in the Czech Republic in Prague. Um, the second day of matches there was freezing cold. Poor Anki Othervong, uh, looked like she had that look on her face of, I did not pack for this, <laughs> which yeah, I've been there, Anne. Um, Emma Adekani won her first professional match on clay as she beat Teresa Martinsova on the opening day to level the tie at one win apiece. That was her best win by ranking since last year's US Open. Uh, Martinsova's been having a good year. It was actually the the highest ranked player. She'd even taken a set off Raducanu since that that US Open. It was a good win and I was really impressed by her on clay, her comfort level on clay in that match. And yes, she suffered a very hard loss uh, the next day to Marketa Vondrosheva. But frankly, Marketa Vondrosheva played like a, a French Open finalist in in that match. And the previous day against Harriet Dart, I was reminded just how, well, just as we were talking about with, with Monte Carlo, just what a different animal she is on that surface and just the trickery she's able to perform von Drosheva. So, and also uh, Raducanu had a blister issue this time on her feet uh, or, or on one of her, foot, her feet, her right foot, I think in that von Drosheva match. So I don't, I don't read too much into that, quite frankly, I'd rather focus on the positives of that Martinsova match and just how comfortable she looked in her, in her movement and, balance on the surface and she looked like she was enjoying that extra split second that you get on clay which interested me in particular because of course we we saw her win that US Open on what most people seem to consider pretty much the fastest surface on 
on tour, a lot of people thought that US Open surface was was faster than a than a grass court. So to see her, you know, really hitting a decent amount of winners, I thought, number of winners on a on a slow clay court, I thought was was all good news for Amaradikano. And I think actually this weekend, you know, even though she lost to Vondrosheva, the team lost overall, I think could be a massive positive for her. I think so. I think just being part of a team, having having women her own age around her, rooting for her, mm. supporting her, I think that's a really healthy environment. Obviously Anne Anne Kyothavong there too. Um she she says Radikanu that she thinks clay can be one of her strongest surfaces, you know, in the future once she gets more time on it. I think I think she's up for that challenge and I think if we've learned anything about Radikanu over the last few months it's that she she can adapt well and she likes she likes challenges you know we saw her hit slice forehands at the Australian Open and I I think we saw a little bit of that sort of same sort of mindset and approach to her to her first experiences at the pro level on clay and I think yes maybe the flat shots she hit don't don't really suit clay at the moment but you know she's got a great tennis IQ she loves playing with angles and doing different things on the court and, and and as you said she looked balanced and the movement looked good there's there's already some good signs and obviously Vondrosheva was just in a different class but as you said she would be in a different class to most players playing like that on clay she uh, she won every single return game Vondrosheva <laughs> in two whole matches playing Emiradikanu and Harriet Dart um she she won a hundred percent of her return games, and actually that's not i mean obviously that's extreme, but I think back in in twenty nineteen the year that she reached that French open final, she led the tour that year for return games one now obviously her her serve then relatively is is a weakness, but she, she can be a magician she mm. can be a magician on a clay court it's it's a sort of tennis you don't see many players playing and it's I don't know I don't understand her necessarily as a as a tennis player she has trashed predictions <laughs> left right all and center all over the place but um yeah I mean who I don't know I don't know what it means but she looked world beating on clay I thought and certainly you know I don't care who's up the other end of the court winning a hundred percent of return games is just obscene yeah, and, and I think she plays very well for Czech Republic as well in Billie Jean King Cup. I think I think she embraces that element to it. Uh, yeah, and and didn't didn't David christen her the new drop shot dragon? I think that this, this mm. weekend was a reminder that drop shot mm. is unreal. The disguise, mm. the the touch on it, oh, so good. She uh, combined with Karolina Mukova to win the decisive. Uh, doubles rubber against Harriet Dart and Katie Swan. We had a really interesting tie between the USA and Ukraine. One by USA, uh, three rubbers to two. Chris Clary in the New York Times said, the symbolic gestures were more indelible than the results. And he was referring to the blue and yellow ribbon um, that was stenciled onto the court. The signs around Asheville um which is where the tie was played, said the USA hosts Ukraine rather than USA versus Ukraine. The USTA offered to postpone 
and also offered to cover the Ukrainian costs uh, for playing in the tide. The scoreboard included information of how you can donate to the Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund um, and about a quarter of a million dollars was raised over the course of the, of the weekend. And the players themselves said they felt the, the tone was struck just right by those organising that tie. Um, Katerina Zavadska said, we came here to play not against the USA, but with the USA for Ukraine. And that's how it felt to me. Um, and Diana Stremska and Zavadska won the reverse singles on day two to take it to the doubles. Um, but in the end, Asia Mohammed and Jessica Pagula beat Yastremska and Kitchenok 7-6-6-3 to win the tie. That's, um, yeah, that's something I could see, you know, reminiscing about on Tennis Relived in, in years to come. That sounds like one of those actually really profound and poignant little stories that doesn't get nearly the attention it probably warrants because it just gets, you know, eaten up by all the other stories in the room, especially in a Billie Jean King Cup weekend where it's, you know, one of many, many ties that are going on. Yeah, and I, I think the by the sound of things, the USTA and, and the team were were very, very conscious of, of the tone. And yeah, it really does sound like they got it right. And um, and in the end, I think it's pretty, pretty big for Asia Mohammed and Pagula as well to get that. You know, Pagula is... Was the was the number one US player there for her to win two matches and, and win the doubles? I think is big and obviously, Asia Mohammed making her making her competition debut. She's won so many matches. We talked about that recently at all sorts of levels, singles and doubles. So that was special for them. But obviously, it was just much bigger than the tennis this weekend. And it sounds like the whole event just really got it right. So the USA, the Czech Republic. Uh, through to the finals, as are Poland, who beat Romania, Italy, who beat France. Uh, these are all th- three three love victories in these ties. Interesting to see Italy win so win- one-sidedly against France. Uh, Canada, uh, 3-0 against Latvia. Spain, 3-0 against Netherlands. And Kazakhstan, 3-0 against Germany. So all those teams through to the finals uh, from the 8th to the 13th of November. They join Australia, Slovakia, Belarus and Switzerland and hosts, which are TBC. Mm. We're, we're getting mm. pretty used to that with uh, Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup, aren't we, with hosts being TBC yes. and not quite well, knowing what's going news, on. We've had the news this week that Malaga... And not Abu Dhabi has been chosen as the host for the knockout stage of the Davis Cup finals in November. Uh, Malaga had originally been selected as one of the group stage hosts. So they need to find a new group stage host. Now, the FFT has decided not to submit a bid, quote, in view of the onerous financial and operational conditions, which no potential organiser in the French territory was willing to accept. I mean, I think we're all relieved that those finals aren't going to be played in Abu Dhabi. But it's a bit of a mess, isn't it? It is a mess. Do you remember back in, I think it was very early December, there was a press release put out announcing that there was going to be a press conference to Mm. reveal the host. And what are we, five months on? And we still don't know what the host is going to be. It It is a mess. And I'm sure there's been a lot of stuff behind the scenes which we we don't know about but is the reason it's such a mess and and why we're in this situation Mm. 
Tennis getting itself into a mess. Who would have thought it? <laughs> just just on those uh, Billie Jean King Cup results, just a few notable things which sprung out to me. France haven't won a match in the competition since they won it. You know, do you remember wow. they went to Perth and, and won not, it there? Not tie, match. Uh, sorry, tie. Yeah, tie. They've, they've won the odd right. match, but they haven't won a, a tie overall since they won oh, the competition. Um, Iga Sviontek was playing her first matches as the official world number one. You, you might have missed that because they were so quick. One of them was literally about half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. Maybe she'll never lose again. 6-1, <laughs> 6-love, six 6-love, six 6-love. She couldn't quite match Von Drosheva's feat of winning every return game because the one game she did lose was a return game. But yeah, only lost one game. And I thought that Kazakhstan, that's, that's a notable result as well for them getting past Germany. You know, obviously a much bigger tennis nation and Kazakhstan. Um, they've never really quite had the results in Billie Jean King Cup that they've had in Davis Cup. They've really punched above their weight in Davis Cup. But now they've got Rebekkina playing for them. That means Putin Saver becomes the number two. And all of a sudden, that is a really, really strong team. And they both managed to get wins over Kerber. And that sort of breaks new ground for Kazakhstan in this competition. A, a beautiful roundup, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Um, oh, 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 and I should oh, say I had more? another thing was that in a sort of sliding doors universe, this weekend probably would have been the weekend where we would have been talking about Ash Barty's farewell because she had it planned that she would play. Oh, yes. She would play that final tie. Sorry, her final match would be the tie for Australia. Uh, but Australia's tie didn't end up happening because of the fact that Russia and Belarus were kicked out of the competition um and obviously she, she retired a few weeks ago now but yeah there's there's a world in which this was ash Barty's planned retirement gosh mm. yes we've already done that podcast though yeah sorry to bring that up again <laughs> <laughs> uh this week the tours head to stuttgart on the wta side uh, and to Barcelona and Belgrade on the ATP side. The draw in Stuttgart is just ridiculous. Uh, first round matches include Kvitova against Pliskova, Paulini Georgi, um, Billie Jean King Cup teammates, of course, from Italy, Kontovic Kerber, Jabir Vondrosheva, and Goff Kazakina. Um, ju- just ridiculous first round matches. To say it's a stacked draw in Stuttgart would just be. A crazy understatement. There's a plausible route to the title for Badosa, which is Rybakina, Vondrosheva, Kontovate, Sviontek. Like, they could all be finals. Wow. And that's her, that's her potential route to the title. It's it's an unbelievable field. Because it's only a, a 32 draw, and yet... And it, seeds get it, buys. So and very seeds get few, buys, and yet it, it draws players. all of the top players. So, uh, yeah, it's just unbelievably stacked. Uh, Bianca Andrescu is also returning to competition this week in Stuttgart. She's actually, given how stacked that draw is, had an amazingly kind draw. Um, she faces Jules Niemeyer, who, honestly, I had never heard of before. She's a, a German wild card. Um but yeah, as as draws go, that is that is a kind one. That she'll play on Tuesday, 
Um, and given this is this is her first match back since taking some time away from the sport, um, she was kind enough to speak to me earlier on today. Uh, and it was an absolute joy. She is so open and relaxed and human and it was such a pleasure to speak to her. And I started off by asking her why she felt now was the right moment for her comeback. I definitely wasn't 100% sure when I should kind of get back into it, but I just kind of took how I was feeling over the last couple of weeks before heading back on court and, you know, all those feelings of, oh, I miss this, I miss that, you know, I miss competing, I miss all those feelings before the match, after the match. So it was kind of that that really pushed me into making the decision, but also um, helping me realize my true passion for the sport. And uh, it did take like four months for that to happen, which is, it's a long time, but at the same time, it's not. I'm just glad that it's now and I didn't really have to wait any longer, to be honest. And by, by the same token, going back, how did you know it was the right decision and the right time to to take a bit of a, a step back from the sport. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like getting back on court. It was an accumulation of like two months where I just as brutal as this sounds or as honest as it sounds, I kind of hated myself, um, which was just a toxic environment, not just for me, but for, everybody around me as well. Like I, I didn't feel like it was fair at all and I had to make a decision. And I knew that just like a month off or even less, cause I mean, the season is pretty long, uh, wouldn't do much. So I had to take the initiative and like with, um, an accumulation of like other people's, you know, thoughts and opinions, I made that decision of taking a break. And I, told my team I was like I have no idea how long it's going to be so I understand if you have other opportunities um, to work with other people or whatever it is but I really appreciate you I would love for you to you know continue to be team Bianca but like I understand if you know yeah so that was hard it was really hard for me to come to that conclusion because I could have lost everybody um but luckily I have the most amazing team and they ended up staying with me so to me that shows a lot and I'm just very very happy for that how how do you balance um drawing belief from what you achieved in in 2019 and during that incredible period with also letting go of that and you know feeling like a a different player now and a different person how do you how do you strike that balance Good question. Right now, uh, I don't want to think of 2019 so much. I kind of want to think about who Bianca is right now. And that is someone who obviously wants to win, but remembers how it was when she was only thinking about winning. So it's kind of that balance of focusing on the process as much as I can. And I was talking about that last year but I wasn't acting on it and that is to enjoy myself on the court have fun at the end of the day it's just a game of freaking tennis I know it is more serious than that but at the end of the day 
at the end of the day, it is just a game. Um, and I want to use that to, you know, challenge myself and give a hundred percent. And, you know, at the end of the day, like if it can inspire other people, then that's amazing, you know, but yeah, that's kind of like where my head's at. And if I win, I win. No, no biggie for me. I'm sure you're just focusing on yourself, but it feels like it's not a coincidence that a few other players at the moment have been sort of shining a light on a similar thing. Naomi's been talking about, you know, having having her results not be what her whole self and happiness rests on. I think Madison Keys was talking about it as well at the Australian Open earlier this year. Is that something you can really relate to? Yeah, 100 percent. I don't want to think about winning or losing. I just want to think about going out there, giving 100%, preparing the best way that I can. And I know that if I can do that consistently, then results will come because obviously I'm not just trying to play the sport to, you know, just lose first round, second round. You know, I obviously want to win, but I know that will come. I don't want to feel like I'm in a rush with anything. I think you said in the past that you don't usually like watching videos of yourself, but you did during during quarantine and during lockdown. Is that something you've done again prior to to this comeback? And do you still actually think- actually no, I haven't been watching myself. I did use that technique back in 2021 uh, because I felt that I really needed to get back into that mindset because I didn't play for like a year and like two months crazy I can't believe that happened but now uh I just wanted to focus on the present and the future so no past whatsoever obviously I do remember the feelings of being back on court and competing and you know winning the U.S. Open so that really helps me um like continue to have that hunger because I know how it feels like um but yeah like I do not want to watch myself play if I can like if I can avoid that I will I really don't like it did you you follow tennis much while you were away do you did you get any FOMO like or did you kind of just step out of it all together so yeah I started watching again at the Indian Wells but before that it was like completely out of my mind. I didn't want to see a tennis racket. I didn't want to see a tennis ball. If someone mentioned tennis, I wanted to gag. <laughs> like it was that bad. <laughs> do, do you know do you know how it got that bad? Did it kind of creep up on you? Like the the way you're talking about how you felt a few months ago is kind of it's sad to hear. It's obviously brilliant that you're not feeling that way anymore, but did you kind of wake up one day and go, "Oh my my goodness, how's this happened? Like, how did you reach that point? It was an accumulation of a bunch of things, mainly coming from myself, because at the end of the day, you have control of everything. And other than, you know, external, like what other people do and say, um, but even then you can cut those people out of your life, but it's not that easy. Anyway, so it it was mainly an accumulation of how I looked at things, of how I made myself feel, um, because more and more, I'm starting to realize that the pressure I had before wasn't healthy at all. Uh, Because like I said, when I lost, I hated myself. And when I won, 
I kind of loved myself in a way, but even sometimes when I, when I won, I was still very critical, even if it was one game that was played poorly, you know, and just coming to that point of realizing that really made me think like, wow, what are you doing to yourself? Like all you're doing is putting yourself down. You're just being negative. It's not healthy for you, for the people around you. And um, a bunch of other little things, obviously, like some relationship issues, friendships. um, And it kind of just came all together. And the years before that too, like with COVID as well, not being able to, like see anybody or even do anything I think it was just an accumulation honestly of like two years and yeah I could go on about everything that happened because there were quite a bit of situations but yeah I said I was feeling like that for about two months and nothing was really changing and I'm like yo like this is just not it and I can't handle that. And I know that not everybody could maybe feel the need or feel, um, I don't want to use the word privileged, but like have the opportunity to do that. I feel like I was in a place where I did not base everything off of money or, um, you know, even now, like some people with the war going on, like some Ukrainian athletes, they can't even go home, you know? So like little things like that, I was very grateful for the opportunity to be able to, you know, say, look, I'm like, not going to play for, I don't know how long, you know, that obviously helped me make the decision as well. So, so yeah, just like a bunch of things. I was kind of rambling. Sorry. No, <laughs> but, yeah. It's fascinating. Um, I know you're really busy. Last couple of questions. Um, Clay, I feel like barely had the chance to to watch you play on Clay. Pandemic, injuries, all of that. How do you how do you feel about Clay? I actually really love the Clay. I had a tough match last year against uh, Tamara Zidansek. Uh, but it was a great match. Like, honestly, I wasn't that upset about it. She just played freaking amazing towards the end. But Clay, I think, really suits my game style. And it really suits um, and gives me the opportunity to showcase, like, my movement skills. Because I have been working a lot on that over the years. And I feel like it is one of my strong suits. So I'm very excited for that. Last question. Um, I have to ask about Coco because I really do think she's the best dog in tennis. I love her so much. Uh, how do you keep in touch with her while you're away? Are you a, uh, do you do Zooming with the dog? Are you one of those people? I do the FaceTime sessions. <laughs> I do the constant updates. I ask my mom, I'm like, what's going on right now? And she'll send me like a video of Coco eating or like Coco playing. Um, she actually sent me a video of Coco uh, taking a shit the other day <laughs> it was the funniest thing ever and honestly when dogs are doing the deed uh like the number two it's the funniest fucking thing ever so seeing seeing uh her do that is just hilarious but um yeah I constantly get those updates and I'm hoping that my parents will be able to travel with me in the next couple of tournaments and that means that Coco- oh, she can come that means yeah she can too Okay, awesome. Yeah. Please bring her to Paris. We would all like to see more of her. Yeah. Coco. 
you're coming that's great yeah i'll see you there yeah i my dog is sitting right here she can't come to paris but oh baby is she also mixed she's a a cavoodle so she's half coco's a toy is she a toy poodle toy yeah Yeah. so she's half toy poodle half very cute yeah yeah uh thank thank you thank you so much no Um, problem my pleasure luck with your comeback thank you so much yeah, and just to just to worsen the total lack of professionalism by uh, talking about both her dog and my own dog at the end of that interview, uh, in total stitch-up news, Catherine Snedden uh, of the WTA, who listens to this podcast and uh, set up or helped set up that interview for us with Bianca Andrescu and uh, is fantastic. Hello, Catherine, and thank you. But also very much not thank you, for telling Bianca Andrescu after, and for showing Bianca Andrescu after that interview, uh, the photo that I uh, took after a couple of honey juices uh, with her parents and Coco at the US Open in 2019. Um, so, yes, yeah, she now thinks I'm the most unprofessional <laughs> journalist she's ever encountered. Great. <laughs> I love the inclusion there of. After a couple of honey juices, are you saying mm. that had that opportunity come up and you hadn't had any honey juices that you wouldn't? wouldn't I don't have think I would have. It? I don't think I would have sprinted over. Oh, did you and sprint? Asked, okay, sort of. Yeah, asked the bewildered, bewildered, and rescue parents for a self. They looked so confused. <laughs> so David was confused. there. He might have. He might have encouraged. David you also looked confused. <laughs> anyway. Is one anyway, of the great photos. Mm, thank you. <laughs> um, she's she's in a good place, isn't she, Andrescu? But it's very clear. Well, she she told us plainly she wasn't in a good place, and I hadn't quite realised how bad the place she was that she was in. Did that did that take you by surprise, Matt? It did. Yeah, it did, actually. Um, and I think, gosh, she said so many fascinating things. And yeah, absolutely. It's great to hear her sounding so well now. Um, and obviously, she's got her own personal circumstances going on. But I think what you picked up on in the interview that at the same time, what she's describing is is similar to a lot of what other players have spoken about over the last year. Um, and I think she made a very interesting point about the length of a break you know just having a month off wasn't going to do anything it was it was worse than that you know she knew she needed longer there was no point putting a time limit on it because she didn't know how she would feel um and you know it feels like an age that we haven't seen Andrescu but six months in the context of a career that we hope is going to be very long isn't such a long time and if if having a break like this can extend her career then gosh it's so so worth it if it can make her feel like she is now it's so so worth it and I think I think it's great that it's acceptable now that attitudes have have changed enough that Bianca Andrescu can say no I need to step away from tennis and I should think more players will will sort of follow her lead probably over the years to come as well it's a big it's a big thing she's done and she's not alone Mm. but being so open and honest about it I think's really really important as well. Yeah, I mean, what a brave thing to do for her to just turn around to her team and say, I'm doing this. Mm. 
I understand that you might not be able to to stick with me, but I I just know that I need to do this. She um yeah, she's she's very impressive Bianca Andrescu and extremely human and um yeah, I want I want to be her friend. <laughs> uh and I'm I'm not afraid to use my dog to try and make that happen. <laughs> so she's she's playing in Stuttgart this week where Shrantek and Bedosa are the top seeds. There's also WTA event in Istanbul. We've got Elisa Mertens, Saronica Steyer, uh Sarah Cerebes Tormo playing there. Um in Barcelona, as Matt was saying, we expect to have Alcaraz sit to pass as a potential quarter final. Casper uh, Ruud's playing. Felix Auger-Aliassime, he could do with a win. Um, it's been a, a rough few weeks for him on tour. Could do with getting things back on track. Uh, we also did have Tommy Robredo playing that tournament, but he did lose today in his final professional tennis match. He lost to Zapata Marias. And uh, that is an end to, well, is what's longer than long? Long career doesn't feel like it covers it. Tommy Robredo has been around, I mean, all my life, Matt. And if I feel that way, he must literally have been around for all your life. I read that he's played 25 seasons. I am 25 years old. <laughs> Quite a career, isn't it? Incredible. The 2006 Hamburg champion, 12 career titles, reached world number five, spent over 100 weeks in the top 10. That is incredible. Um, that sustained uh, longevity at the top. Three Davis Cup titles, of course, seven Grand Slam quarterfinals. That win over Federer at the, the 2013 US Open, that'll stand out to me. Um, and coming from two sets down in three consecutive matches, at the French Open that year. So it has been quite a career for Tommy Robredo. I think that he can, you know, sleep well in his retirement. So that's Barcelona. Novak Djokovic, as we've discussed, is the top seed in Belgrade. Andre Rublev is playing there as well. Um, very quickly, last couple of bits, mentioned Roger Federer. He's done uh, some photos. He's He's produced some training content, Matt, which is... Enough for people to get excited about where Federer is at physically. Maybe excited enough to remortgage their houses and buy tickets for the Labour <laughs> Cup. <laughs> and I would count myself among such people. Not the uh, remortgaging the house people, but the excited people. It, it just made me realise that he didn't do any of that last year during his re rehab. You know, seeing a post from him, I think indicates that there's been some sort of positive progression and who knows what it will lead to but it, it just just struck me that clearly things are going quite well if that's what he's posting at the moment okay i'm clinging okay, can you matt, tell matt, i'm clinging matt, you're, you're, what you're doing matt is giving license to for everyone to feel overexcited mm. about the prospects of federer's comeback but anyway we're here for it someone's got to be you know outrageously optimistic if david's not on the podcast you're you're filling you're filling the shoes amply, Matt. <laughs> um, what else has happened? Denis Shapovalov has been teasing news of the Shapo shelter. He says over the years I've heard so many cruel stories about certain animals that were so helpless. With Shapo shelter, we're going to highlight the stories of these poor animals that can't tell their own stories in hopes of finding the new homes, as well as tell the stories of all these different shelters and organisations trying to help these beautiful animals. I'm a little bit confused about that, Matt. 
it sounds to me like it's not an actual animal shelter. It's a sort of social media account for Other storytelling about pre-existing animal shelters. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit confused when I watched the video. I mean, it's a, I think it's a mm. lovely thing and it clearly comes from a great place, but it, it isn't what I thought it was going to be. It, no. it isn't It isn't Alejandro Davidovich Fakina setting up his own adoption agency. Yeah, maybe Alejandro Davidovich Fakina needs to hire Chapo Shelter to do the PR for his actual yes, shelter. exactly. That, that sounds like the team-up that tennis needs. And, and also I noticed that... Um, this is probably for a conversation that is, shouldn't even be on the podcast. I should probably just told you this in a WhatsApp. But anyway, I'm telling you now. I noticed <laughs> that Shapovalov uh, announced that in one of those Koala T-shirts. Oh. That we ordered during the Australian oh, Open. Oh, I've got an update for you on that, actually. They, oh. they, I got an email about him last week saying they've come back to the um, pub where he ordered them from. Do you want us to send them out again? I said, absolutely not. I'm not even in Australia anymore. Please give me a refund. And I've been trying to get replacement items from the uk but i was going to surprise you anyway oh do you think okay. anyone's still listening no <laughs> matt and i tried to order those um t-shirts nadal was we saw nadal in one in a press conference it was an australian open nike t-shirt with a lovely koala on it and um i ordered two for one for me one for matt in australia but there was a whole hoo-ha with delivery it never <laughs> arrived and then we left the country um, yes, I thought the Airbnb hosts were just going to get a lovely koala t-shirt each when we they've left. They've just been parading around in our koala t-shirts for the last few weeks. No, I have received a refund and uh, I will. I have not given up on us owning those t-shirts. Oh, brilliant. I'm glad I brought it up. Mm. I'll, I'll keep you posted, Matt. Uh, Kim Clijsters has announced her retirement once again from tennis, her third retirement. She says this one's for good. She said she, you know, she gave it her all, but uh, she feels the time is right now. Um, there was also an interesting article from Simon Briggs this week. Check it out if you want to on the Telegraph website. We don't have time really to go into all the details, but um, the headline was revealed. The secret society of tennis umpires living under a rule of fear, power abuses and sexual favours. Um, Telegraph investigation has exposed allegations of exploitation going on for decades, which have been kept secret. Really uh, big investig investigative piece by Simon. Um, which a lot of time has gone into. So if that piques your interest, then check out his piece on the Telegraph website. I think that's it for this week's podcast. David will be back next week, probably wearing the same office shirt that he's currently wearing on a Croatian beach somewhere. Um, before we started recording this podcast, Matt said to me, Catherine, have you prepared yourself for the mascot? <laughs> And he was right to check because when I first set eyes on Polly, our lovely, lovely mascot for the week, it, I did have to swallow a lump in my throat. Uh, Polly uh, lost an eye and was rescued in Greece, came to live in England with Duncan, Tracy, Tom and Alice um, recently turned three and is a mongrel. Duncan says, we'd love to hear what breeds Catherine thinks she is a cross between. We can't decide. Last year, she accompanied Duncan climbing Slowden, playing tennis at the peak 
all to raise money for the charity that helped to rescue her. Still swallowing that lump in my throat. Um, I think there's a bit of Labrador in there. In fact, I think there's quite a lot of Labrador in there. I think maybe a, a lab collie cross, that kind of thing. Um, she's absolutely beautiful. So beautiful. Gorgeous colouring. Looks so happy. Um, doesn't look like, you know, look like if you offered her a second eye, she'd go, no, thanks. I'm fine with, with my one eye. Thank you very much. I'm living my best life. Um, and she is lovely. So that's that's what I think. And thank you, uh, Duncan and family, for bringing Polly into our lives. Uh, we have our own mascots. We have uh, Carter. Well, I have Carter. David has Darwin. Matt has Gerald the cat. Billy Jean has Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers, Chris Albert Lee, who is a top bloke, and Kyle Weingartner, who is also a top bloke. And Matt, we have shout outs. Yes, I want to start with an apology to Alison Risk, who 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 we oh, forgot yes. last week when we were we were flapping around trying to think of a tennis Alison. And we a never lot of claim the lists are us, exhaustive, Matt. No, quite. But we we did get called out for that. We did, anyway. yes. So um, we were also trying to think of an Adam, and someone told us there was an Adam, but he's been provisionally suspended pending <laughs> the full consideration of Max fiction charges. So anyway, we won't we won't dwell on that. Um, this week we've got Matthias Soup from Stockholm. Soup, S O O P. Oh, I like that a lot, Matthias. My brother's uh, German I was, exchange. I was going to say this is this is your chance to tell your brother's German exchange. Have story. I already done this on the podcast? Have I, one of my favourites. Have I officially run out of material? <laughs> the the bloke who played the flight simulator all day and did yeah. the sound effects. Yeah. Sorry, Matthias, I was unable to produce new material for you. <laughs> but thank you very much for your support. I can never remember whether your brother had to go there or whether he just backed out. Oh, he did. That. Yeah, yeah, he, he did. did. Go. I don't think Oof. he spent much time with Matthias. No, we don't talk about that. But this Matthias <laughs> is, is, is great. Yes, he is. Thank you very much, Matthias, for your support. We also have Jean Althoff from Minnesota. Oh, hello. Hello to Minnesota. Hello to Jean. There are tennis jeans, aren't there? Uh, Billy Jean King. It's spelt like that. Well, Je- yes. Um, Jean. Maybe there aren't. <laughs> it, well, it's not pronounced like that, but it, it's a bit like Jean-Julien Roger. <laughs> oh, Jean. <laughs> we haven't done well for you, have we? But we do. We do if we... We do appreciate your support. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jean. And finally, we have Kate McCulloch, who is in London, but originally from Dorset. Lovely. And Kate says that she has watched so much tennis on Prime with her mum that her mum now says, is that your friend Catherine? Oh. Because uh, because Kate has listened to the podcast so much in the car and watched so much tennis on Prime. Kate's mum, yes, it is your friend Catherine. Kate's Officially, friend Catherine. Officially, thank you very much for being our friend and for your support of the podcast. Thank you. Uh, we'll be back next week, folks, uh, and David will be back next week, probably wearing the same office shirt he is frolicking around Croatia in right now. Thanks for listening. 
tell your friends, leave us an Apple podcast review, subscribe to the newsletter, do all that jazz, and we will speak to you again next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.